Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C- come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <laughs> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever ever tried to to bury you alive in a box? No, no. But truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm. Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. So I uh, write them down. Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. You're there. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Uh, I, I only have a five, so 
Well, I, I, don't, I don't make change. <laughs> then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Not of some kind? Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me... No, Sadie. no, no. No, no we, de- we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's what's the problem, Kathy? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And and you and you don't you don't like that. No, I don't. So you think we're we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you 10 words that I I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here are the 10 words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. There's a reason why Jesus lets Peter is crash. Why he lets him crash. He's a lot because Peter is just like this stop it counselor that we've been listening to. And we're gonna see how Peter how God softens Peter and also how he softens us up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for the rain we've had this week, and Lord, we just pray for your mercy and grace now as we look at your word, that your spirit would speak to us through your word and through, through what Jesus teaches us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the passage in Mark 14, starting with verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter... Warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. 
Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So we see that Peter denies Jesus. He breaks down and he, he weeps because he realized how serious his denial is. He wept bitterly. We're going to see that a little later. He wept bitterly. He's going to see how he knows how serious the denial is. It's a very, very serious sin. And he also showed how deep his love for Jesus was. Because if he didn't love Jesus, it wouldn't have bothered him. But because he broke down and he, and he cried, he, he showed how deep his love for Jesus was. It broke his heart. He let Jesus down when he needed him the most. And three times Peter is challenged in the courtyard here. And he's, he's given really three chances to affirm Jesus. He's, even after the first trial, he's still given two more chances to make it right. He could have made it right. He's, he's given these chances. But each time he misses out and he strikes out. He strikes out. And it's easy to pile on Peter, right? It's easy to pile on Peter. We often do that. But how often do we do the same thing? Every time that we don't share our faith when the door opens, what are we doing? We're doing the same thing Peter did. Every time there's a, a, some kind of a crack, an opening that God gives us, someone says, well, what do you think about this moral issue or, or this thing going on in our world? What do you think? And, and the door is open for us to not just answer the question, but also to bring our faith in and, and to share about Jesus. Every time we don't do that, we are doing the same thing. Instead of practicing lifestyle evangelism, we hear so much about lifestyle evangelism, we practice lifestyle denial. If we don't share our faith, and there's so many open doors to share our faith. I'm not talking about going through every verse of the Bible, but there's so many chances to talk about God and to bring God into the conversation or Jesus and faith in Christ. There's so many opportunities to, to bring that in. It's, it, there, God gives us many, many of these open doors. And not only that with denying Christ, but every time we give in to the same old sin, we also deny Jesus, don't we? You know, that, that same, every time we give in to that same old sin, we're denying Jesus. Because we're denying Jesus Christ's transforming power in our life. That's what we're doing when we give in to sin like that. Who are we denying today? Are we denying Jesus? Are we denying the world? Think of our own life as we go into this. Now back to Peter. Really, his failure here is inevitable because what led to it? It's simple gravity. Because of all the steps that led up to it. You know how when we, we deny Christ or we sin and deny Christ's power in our life. And, and often we, we, we get to that place where it's almost inevitable because of the steps that lead to it. We leave ourselves in, in a very vulnerable place. And that's what happened with Peter. He, he left himself in a very vulnerable place. You could pretty much figure he's going to deny Christ by this time. Because look what happened. Remember back in Mark 14, 22? 7 to 42, we talked about Peter being asleep on the job. And we talked about how it's important that we stay humble, stay awake, and stay on our knees. Remember that? And he didn't do those three things. Strike three. He struck out that first time. And then, uh, he, so he already has these three strikes against him. But then we saw in Mark 14, 41 to 52, Peter cuts and runs. Remember that whole story? He wakes up just in time. He's sleeping on the job. He wakes up just in time to pick up his sword and chop somebody's ear off. He attacks, he attacks one of the mob members. Then Jesus rebukes Peter and heals, heals the guy's ear. So what does Peter do? 
He runs away. <laughs> Once again, one, two, three strikes, three more strikes against him. So really, he's already struck out twice. When we get to the denial time, it's his third strikeout in a row. It's like you, you already knew it was going to happen because of, he had not learned anything. Uh, the first couple at-bats, he hadn't learned a thing. He had set himself up for a, a complete strikeout. It was inevitable. It reminds me, I was thinking about um, how way to think of this with baseball. After the first two strikeouts, the third one is a foregone conclusion. It's inevitable because he didn't learn from that. And it reminded me when, um, when our son Joshua used to pitch. Now, most of you know Joshua now, but you may not remember what he was like when he was younger. He, we call, he was a stick man. You know? now, he, now he's wrestled and he's a weightlifter. He's got a world record in weightlifting now, right? And, but, but at one point, he was a stick man. He was the least likely person to ever get a weightlifting world record, right? This is Joshua. And, uh, he, and, and when he used to play baseball, he couldn't throw very fast. Uh, they would stick him out in right field and he couldn't throw fast. He couldn't hit hard. But what he did is he developed a pitch. He developed a, a lob pitch that would come in and it would wobble and it would curve as it came in. And they called it the elliptical. Remember that? Remember the elliptical pitch? And so whenever the team was having trouble because they're hitting the big fast guys who are throwing these super fast balls, whenever they were hitting those guys, they would bring Joshua in. And Joshua would come scooting out of, out of, a, out of right field and he'd throw this elliptical pitch. And while he's warming up, the other team, I'll never forget the last time we saw him pitch, it was in a, a championship uh, in New Jersey, and it, the team was really close, really close. It was half the way through the game, and they didn't know if they could win, and the coach gives Josh the nod, and Josh comes jogging in out of right field, and he gets in and he starts lobbing the ball, and it looks like he's going to play wiffle ball. That's how he throws the ball. It's a wiffle ball pitch. And these guys are all lined up laughing, you know, all these big guys laughing, and, you know, and, and talking about how far they're going to hit it, and it was just hilarious. But we knew it was coming. We we're watching, and sure enough, he comes in, and this little stick guy, you know, you, you know, you can't believe it's him now, right? But this little stick guy, he throws his pitch, it comes in wobbling, wobbling in. And the guy's, whoosh, <laughs> nothing. And he's looking around, we're looking over the fence, no, it's in the pitcher's, or the catcher's glove. Does it again, strike two, strike three. The guy throws the bat down and the coach comes out and talks to the guys. Listen, the guys, listen. Wait for the pitch. Don't try to hit home run. Just try to hit it. But they, they won't listen because they all know they're going to hit this over the fence. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. He goes through the next three innings. They win the championship. This little guy throwing this, this elliptical pitch, you know. But these guys wouldn't learn from the guy before him. They wouldn't listen to the coach. And every time you could hear them arguing and screaming. The coach is screaming. They're screaming back. They're slamming their bats the whole time because they wouldn't learn from the strikeouts. And that's a picture that's a picture of what Peter was like. He was very, very proud. And that, some of us might be able to relate to Peter, right? Nobody here. But you might know someone like Peter. But, but that's why Jesus allowed this trial and this failure in his life. The same reason why he allows us to fall flat on our face. For that same reason. And now to get at this, I want to look at Luke 22, a parallel passage. And in Luke 22, he really shows what Jesus was trying to accomplish in his life. Now, to set the scene, Luke 22, Jesus just gets done with the Lord's Supper. It was a very solemn, sacred moment. He just predicted his death. Very sacred time here. Very touching, very emotional scene. So what happens? What do the disciples do? Well, let's read about it. Luke 22, verse 24. 
Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? You just can't make this stuff up. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it, is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So as soon as he, this touching moment is happening, right in the middle of it, they start arguing about who's the greatest. Unbelievable. And yet, guess who's the instigator? Who do you think is the instigator? Yeah, we're going to see it is Peter. There's always an instigator in every family, right? There's always that instigator. Some of you are looking at, some of my children are looking, laughing. Now, there's, there's, now the problem is we have like three families, really. You know? So we have three instigators. You know? It's been, oh my goodness. But anyway, we won't go there. And, and there, you can always count on who's going to cause the fight or cause trouble or something. Well, anyway, P, this is Peter. Simon is usual. In fact, look at what Jesus says. We know because of what Jesus says in verses 31 to 32. He says, Simon, Simon. Picks him right out, right out of the bunch. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. So, Peter. But then Peter doesn't get what Jesus is trying to say. Let's go down to verse 33. Verse 33, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. You will deny three times that you know me. So Peter doesn't know himself, but God knows Peter very well, and Jesus knows exactly how to break him. And then we go down to the parallel passage once again, verse, verse 56 where he says, I'll, I'll pick it up in verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Women, I don't know you. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another re- asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he is speaking, the crowd cr- the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Amazing. The last person, the last person that you would expect to fall. Out of all the disciples, right? The last person would be Peter, tough Peter, big mouth Peter, you know, tough guy Peter, right? The last guy. He just took on this whole soul, the whole, all the soldiers, the mob. He attacks the mob with a sword by himself. And, and now he's scared of a little girl? I mean, think about it. That's crazy, isn't it? God, remember something, God often lets us fall at our strongest point. He often lets us fall at our strongest point. Remember this. Abraham. What is Abraham known? Abraham is known for faith. Faith. And yet, what did he do several times when he was scared? Lied. Abraham lied. He was a liar. Whenever he got in a tough spot, he would tell a lie. She's not my wife. 
I mean, all right? What happened to faith? Well, God let him fall at the strongest point. David. David kills Goliath. He kills the giant. He's not afraid of a giant. And yet he's with one of the Philistine kings, and they talk about how he killed Goliath, and he got panicky, and he pretended he was insane. He went crazy. He started foaming at the mouth and doing all these things to try to trick them to thinking he was insane. What happened to that courageous David, right? It's crazy. Then we think of another. There's lots of examples. Uh, Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. He kills 400 false prophets. The priests of Baal, he kills them. Courage. Jezebel comes along right afterward. And she says, I'm going to get you, Elijah. What does he do? He runs off and says, I want to die. He runs from one woman. Why does God let this happen? To break us. And to show us and everyone else it's not us. It's not Abraham. It's not David. It's not Elijah. It's not Peter, who ends up becoming a super evangelist. It's God. He, he, he humbles us to show us and everyone else where our strength really comes from. He wants to create in us humble dependence. Humble dependence. And that's what sifting is all about. Back in verses 31 to 32 here in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's what sifting is all about. Sifting, if you've ever done it, uh, talking about sifting wheat, uh, what they would do is with the wheat, they would have this, this sieve that has all the little holes. Some of you have sifted other things. You're trying to let the good stuff go through the holes and, and keep the bad stuff out. And when they would sift the wheat, they would sift it. Or if you've ever sifted flour, you know what I'm talking about? You shake it in there and the flour goes through and what's left? Bugs, you know, or whatever else that you didn't want in there, you know. And uh, there's lots of bugs in your bread, by the way. But anyway, uh, only a farmer would know that. But anyway, the, uh, the, you're sifting there and, and, and it, it lets the good stuff in. It keeps the bad stuff out. And that's what Jesus was doing with Peter. That's why he allowed Satan, the devil, to sift Peter. And, and see, the thing to remember is this, is Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. God is in control. Remember this. The devil has to ask God's permission before he can touch us in any way. Think of Job. Satan had to keep coming to God and saying, let me at Job. And, and he couldn't touch him until, unless God allowed it. And God allowed a lot. But Satan said, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Saying, there's a hedge around us. And if God allows anything in our life, there's a reason for it. Now, we can open doors and cause our own issues, but I'm talking about God allowing something. He, Satan has to get God's permission. And his goal in attacking us is he's hoping to take us out. He's hoping to get us to fall. He's hoping to get us to give up on our faith. That's his hope. But God is allowing for a reason. God is allowing us to go through the, these trials, these attacks for a reason. He wants to grow us spiritually. He wants to 
impact those around us who see our witness as we go through the trial. That's why God allows us to go through it. It's like if you are a wrestling coach. I know Joe's a wrestling coach. And you are doing really well in wrestling. You're pinning everybody. What does the coach do? He allows you to wrestle somebody a lot tougher and get body slammed and get pinned to show you how much you need to still grow. And that's what happens, right, Joe, when, when you've got a kid who's winning every match, you put him against a tougher guy and a tougher guy, and you let him get beat up, slammed around, get bloodied, because that, that's what, then the kid will stop listening to the coach. Okay, what do I need to work on? Instead of getting that big head. And that's why God allows Satan to body slam us. That's why God allows us to go through attacks. He allows it to, uh, to grow us spiritually. And he also is allowing it to impact those who witness our trial. Some of you may have seen the movie Unbroken, or the book is in the library. A phenomenal book, an amazing book, movie too. Louis Zamperini, the story of Louis Zamperini, it's called Unbroken. Really, they've titled that book wrong, though. It should be Broken. Beautifully Broken. Perfectly broken, expertly broken, because that's what God allowed. He allowed Louis Zamberini to be broken when he went through all, in the war and the torture and all the things he went through. He was broken, but he was also then rebuilt. And when God was done with him, he was rebuilt. He was now he was broken, but he, and when he rebuilt him, now he was this cracked pot. <laughs> That God's grace could shine through the cracks of his life. And we know with what, well, look what it took for those who've read this, the book or seen the movie. The movie didn't quite bring it out as well as the book. Read the book. But what happened was, because of what he went through, he finally broke and put his faith in Jesus. It took all of that, and he went through unthinkable things. It took all of that to bring him to his knees and to Jesus. And that's what prepared him, his life to impact many people. In the book, in the movie, millions of people impacted, but his life impacted so many because of what the attacks that he went through. God has a purpose. God is in control. And notice that Jesus prays for him. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He allowed Satan to attack him, but he says, I'm praying for you. And Jesus is praying for us. In Romans 8.34, it says, listen to this passage in Romans 8. He says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We know when Jesus died and resurrected and then finally ascended, he is now at the right hand of God. And Jesus today is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. He's pulling for us. That's what he, he, he's praying for us at the right hand of God. Just like anything that we're going through, that Jesus allows us to go through, he is praying for us and interceding and pulling for us. He's there for us. And because he's praying for us and pulling for us, we can face anything. Verses 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine 
or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Happening all over the world, isn't it, to Christians today? Because of that, we can face anything. And no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're facing, our ultimate victory is guaranteed. Verses 37-39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our ultimate victory is guaranteed. Now understand something. What, What Peter learned and what each of us, as long as we stay focused on Jesus, our coach, our Jesus, and as long as we persevere, we are guaranteed the victory. If we keep our faith, as whatever we're going through, if we keep our faith by trusting and looking to Jesus and his purpose for this, if we keep our faith and if we persevere, and this is important, faith plus perseverance, very, very important, faith plus perseverance, if we do that, we, even in trials, even in our failures, even when we fall flat on our face, if we keep persevering, we are going to see ultimate victory. The outcome is assured. It's assured. Look what Jesus said back in Luke twenty two thirty two, Luke twenty two thirty two. He says, "He says Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat." But verse thirty two. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When he didn't say if you turn back, he didn't say if. He said when, not if, but when you turn back. He Jesus understands something. Jesus knows we're going to fall. He expects us to fall on our face, but he also, he also knows that we're going to come back. He also expects our failures and our returns, just like what happened with Peter. Peter, Peter did turn back. He was restored. Read the book of Acts. It's an amazing story. John 21 talks about Peter's restoration. In John 21, where he says, verses 15 to 19, very interesting passage here. When they had finished eating, Jesus said, this is post-resurrection. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you. Where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. He asked them three times, do you love me? Now why would he ask them three times? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. To offset the three denials, he had three 
affirmations, three confirmations, one for every denial, and then prophesies Peter's crucifixion. His crucifixion. Peter, we know from history that he was crucified upside down. He said, I can't be crucified like my Lord and Savior Jesus was crucified. I'm not worthy. They said, well, we're going to crucify you. We're Romans. He said, then crucify me upside down. And he was crucified upside down. We know that from history. But he, Jesus prophesies Peter's crucifixion. And this time he won't deny Jesus. This time he won't run. Peter embraced the cross. We all fall and fail, don't we? We all fall and fail miserably. But God is a God of second chances. Third chances. Fourth chances. Thousand chances. God is a God of second chances. And this is an encouragement to everyone here. Everyone here to persevere. It's an encouragement to everyone here to get back up again and to persevere. Jesus knew we would fall. Jesus knew we were going to fail. That's why he died on the cross. He's not shocked. We all, a lot of times we fall and we say, oh no, Jesus is going to be so upset. Yeah, listen, he knew we were going to fall. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he's waiting to restore us. Even no matter what sin we have fallen to, no matter what thing we keep messing up on, Jesus is waiting for us to get back up again and to persevere, to ask for forgiveness and to keep moving forward and to, to persevere. He's, he's waiting for us. Even if we deny Jesus Christ. Even if we just came out just like Peter and denied Jesus, we, he's still waiting for us to come back again. He will give us a second chance. A beautiful story I read about this. It's in a book called By Their Blood. It's about martyrs throughout uh, the history in the 20th century. And it talks about the martyr who died twice. I love this, I love this story. Uh, it talks about a man called Sung Du. He was a young Christian teacher in Korea. And before World War II, uh, he was following Christ. But then when Japan invaded Korea, uh, during the World War II, they invaded Korea. They attacked the, the Christians and the missionaries and they persecuted them. And this young man, Song, had disappointed the missionaries, I'm going to read it to you, by yielding to Japanese pressure and worshipping at the shrines. So he gave in. Five years after the war ended, uh, a missionary named Arch Campbell ran into the teacher's younger brother and asked what happened to Song Du, because the missionary had had to leave the country. He said, oh, he repented before God with bitter tears, the young Korean said. He promised God that he would die before denying the faith again. And he kept his promise. He died twice. The communists took over, North, over that part of Korea, became North Korea. And the missionary said, what are you talking about? How could he die twice? And the younger brother said that Sung Du had gone to seminary and prepared for the ministry after being ordained. He had taken a church as a pastor. Then the communists came and put him to work as a slave laborer in a mine. Because he refused to work on Sundays, they beat him so badly that they thought he was dead. They carried my brother out and threw him in the river. When, when they turned away, some of his church friends jumped in and pulled his body out. 
they took him back to the village where they were preparing for his funeral when they found he was still alive. Many months later, he was well enough to go back and he began to preach in the church again. But then the communists came back and arrested him again. This time they shot him and made sure he was dead. So he died twice to make up for the time when he was unfaithful. Second chances. Even if we were to deny Christ, and I hope we never do that, but as we face increasing persecution, there's always another chance with Jesus Christ. And there's one key that we can't miss out on here. Back in Luke 22, 32, the final thing we've got to finish up with, he, Jesus says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Verse 32, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What is the purpose of Peter's breaking? It's to prepare him to help other people. Instead of that guy who stopped it, he became a very different person. Post-resurrection, post-Holy Spirit coming on him in, in Acts chapter 2. It's the purpose of our breaking is to prepare us to help other people with their struggles. When we're broken, like Peter, when we're broken like that, we depend on God's mercy and grace. And we now are able to encourage other people who are struggling. I remember when I first went into ministry, some of you were, knew me then, several people here <laughs> knew me then. Uh, when I first was there, I was a lot like that counselor on there, stop it. You know, if someone came to me a problem, stop it. You know, and if they were doing something bad, stop it. Just stop it. I you know, just tell them to stop it. What's your problem, right? And over the years, God has had to break me and, and, has, and has had to soften me up and and broken me many times. And over the years, I've become much more patient and understanding. If you think I'm bad now, some of you think, wait a minute. Some of you think I'm bad now. You should have seen me before, right? I was really bad. A lot of times people say to me, how could that person be a Christian? Look how they're blah, blah, blah. I think about what they'd be without Jesus. You know, think about how, how they were then, you know. So it, I, I've become a much, much different person I'm not saying I'm perfect, but, but, and I'm saying I don't have my Peter moments, but, but way different, way, way different. Instead of just stop it, it's now I understand what people are going through and how God forgave me and how God has helped me and, and how God can help other people. It's a whole different way. How is God sifting us? What is he shaking out of our life, right, in that sieve? What is, how is he sifting us? How is he broken us? Before God can use us, he has to sift us. And it's not a one-time thing either, is it? God has to continually sift our lives to humble us so that we'll be more dependent and so that we can actually help somebody. He has to soften us so that we will be soft toward other people. How is he sifting us? Will we allow him to sift us? And maybe you're here today... And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered to Jesus. But you realize that your life is broken. And you need God's help. And you want to live out your purpose in life and to find peace. And often people will even verbalize this to me, but I know some of you are thinking, but I'm so messed up. 
I'm so messed up. If you're so messed up, you're in the right place. <laughs> We're a bunch of cracked pots here, aren't we? We're a bunch of cracked pots. And, and whatever you're struggling with, I guarantee you there's at least one person here struggling with that same thing or has gone through the battle and can help you in your struggle. You are not alone. There's someone here who understands and can help you. And, and people come to you all the time and say, but this is my struggle. And boy, I'm able to, five people here, I'm going to bring them over and you can talk to these five people. They're going to help you through it because I know what they've been through. But the first step is to realize that we are broken and we need Jesus Christ. We need his healing. We, we know that God wants to give us a real life. That's why he sent his son Jesus. To make that way. Romans 5.8 says. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God sent his only son to die for us in our place. Because he loved us so much. To die on that cross. To take our sin. Our punishment. He was our substitute. He ransomed us. He died in our place. So that we don't have to spend eternity separated from God. And the first step in this spiritual walk is to put our faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Have you ever believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, given your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. How is God speaking to us during this time of prayer? Maybe you're here today and you've walked in a broken person. No peace, no peace, no purpose. No hope because you don't have a relationship with God. You can have that right now. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you have to do to get it. It's something that we receive by faith. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We can experience spiritual salvation right now. A new life in Jesus Christ right now. By believing in him, by putting our faith in him. It's not just an intellectual, it's a heart decision. To put our faith in Jesus. And you can do it right now. There's no special religious ceremony or ritual. It's a prayer. From your heart to God. Just say God I admit my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of that. I want to turn away from that old life. Anything that goes against your word or what your purpose for my life is, I turn away from that. Please forgive me.
because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son, who died on the cross for me. He took my punishment. He died in my place. I'm putting my faith in him. And I give my life to him. Just as he rose again from the dead to show he he had the power, resurrection power, I know he can give me that same power in my life. I I give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing has happened to you today. God's Holy Spirit is living inside of you now, and you will never be the same. He's going to transform your life with his power. Every day as you surrender more and more things to him, you're going to see more of his power working in your life. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've prayed that prayer of faith and given your life to Jesus. Whether you have a friend or a family member or tell me on the way out or fill out the card, stick it in the box, text, call, email. Let, some, let, let me know. Let somebody know so that we can encourage you in your new life in Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe we have been living a life of denial. We've been hiding our light under the bushel instead of being that salt and light in this very dark world. And our prayer is, God, I'm going to, every time you give me the open door, I'm going to open my mouth. And share the love of Christ with people. Maybe we even need to pray, God, please give me chances. Please open the door. If we pray that prayer and we'll take the chance, he will give us many, many opportunities. If he can trust us with them. Maybe we have become like the world and we've are, instead of denying the world, we've been denying Christ by being like the world. And our prayer today is, God, I don't want to deny Christ anymore. I am going to deny the world. I want to be like Jesus. Maybe we've been denying Jesus' power in our life by surrendering to sin. Same old, same old sin. Maybe it's even become a stronghold in our life. And our prayer today is, God, even though it goes against everything in my human flesh, I know what your word says. And I want to deny this sin. And I want to, by faith, live by the power of Jesus Christ in my life. Maybe it's so strong you need to talk to someone. Talk to me or talk to someone to get help in this battle.
Some things are so strong we need someone else to come alongside of us, to coach us in our struggles. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for every time we've denied Jesus, whether in word or deed. Lord, we thank you for the second chance and the third chance and the thousandth chance. Lord, I pray that each one of us, through faith, would persevere. We would persevere. Even if someone here is very, very discouraged, Lord, that you would encourage them through your word today and through your spirit today that you're just waiting, just waiting to give us the grace and the mercy to start again. And also lead us to the person that could be an encouragement to us, someone who could come alongside of us and encourage us in our struggles. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.